Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and here with Managing Editor, Richard Hill. Uh, look, it's good to think I'm managing something because life is such a difficult thing to do. Uh, there's, uh, it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful time of year. Everybody coming into the final parts, November, just coming uh, uh, around our way. Now, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I think the rest of the world is probably joining in uh, our experience of the weather is all over the place, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> uh, we've got cold winds coming in. We're, we're just coming into summer and uh, colder. And you just had a storm uh, uh, yes. recently. Good. Yes, Lord. yes, yes. Had a had a storm, and uh, we, we our power is very dodgy, as we say here in in, uh, in my neck of the woods. And so we have storms, and we often lose power. So it's. it's yeah, the well. Yeah. But we always have the power of our own good hearts and uh, we bring them here back. So podcast again. So this wonder, but this wonderful, the power of conversation, the wonderful mm. joy of talking and listening and sharing ideas. And we've got, of course, mm. another really interesting person, someone who sent us there, there or somebody in the organisation knew about us and said, hey, how about come talk to us? So who have we got today, Matt? Yeah, so we're going to talk to Dr Tyra. Sanderson. She's from Portland, Oregon, and she works with uh, works with kids. And she's written a book called "Too Much, Not Enough: A Guide to Decreasing Anxiety and Creating Balance Through Intentional Choices." And she's got a fabulous clinic over there, Dr. Sanderson and Associates, where she's got a, a group of people all working and doing fabulous psychological work with uh, with the local community. So uh, who else does wonderful work with uh, the the very broad and international community? Oh, yes. I think there's this mob called the Science of Psychotherapy. I don't know who they are. Well, if you don't know who they are, you can jump across to the scienceofpsychotherapy.net and support us in our work. We'd love to have you as part of the tribe. We've got a lot of content there for you and you can do CEU points and there's, there's videos and articles and all sorts of things. As, and, and our fabulous documentaries, we've got three up mm -hmm. now. Uh, next one coming out early next year. Uh, which will be uh, really fascinating on grief. So uh, lots and lots of things happening at this uh, Science of Psychotherapy place. I tell you what, Matt, you're keeping me busy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, let's go across uh, to Portland and have a chat to Dr. Tara Sanderson. Tara, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to see you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Richard here, so uh, lovely to, to see you in, in person after our email communications. And and I just as, as a quick one, uh, Tara, here you are joining us on the podcast. And uh, we were saying just before, people sort of wonder how to get on podcasts. Well, you send us an email. And yes. We looked at you because uh, we said, wow, she's really interesting. And we want to talk to you. So anybody out there who thinks of it, send it. I guess we can always say no. But uh, we're very open. But I really loved uh, both looking at your work and your engagement and, and, you know, you do a lot of online sort of uh, uh, thing as well that you talk about. But I was particularly drawn to the title of your, uh, of your book. You've got it there, Too Much, Not Enough. 
which is great. And then there's a qualifier. Yeah, actually, can you fill us in just a little bit about yourself? We've given you a little bio before, but a little bit about yourself, what interests you, and what brought you into uh, writing this sort of book. And uh, I know you work with young kids, teenagers, just really interested in you. Wonderful. Well, absolutely. I fell into doing the practice of psychology after a job change. I was moving into running a company um, that was a little nonprofit uh, that worked with uh, residential treatment kiddos. And uh, that company ended up faltering and failing. And so I was kind of standing there with my doctorate going, well, what else can I do? And then it dawned on me, well, Tara, you can do therapy. That's a thing. And as I got started doing therapy in 2016, um, I started chronicling kind of my journey a little bit with the types of clients that I was seeing and the types of issues that were coming up. And then just even my own um, process of what I was learning about myself doing therapy with other people. And um, in 2019, I on January 1st, setting my intention for the year, I said, this is the year I'm going to write a book. I think from a young child, I had always wanted to write a book. And I wrote little book reports and lots of little like mini novelettes, you know, as growing up. And I said, well, in 2019, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to write this book. And so I started writing it every morning, you know, creating this little journey for myself. And when it came to titling, I had wanted to title it, I Need a Syllabus for This Part of My Life, um, which I still may find a way to like make that a book of mine at some point. But what I was really resonating with was the journey from graduate school through becoming kind of a grown adult and what it meant to go through this process and, and why we don't have some sort of a guide for what happens after you get done with school. And um, as I had my readers go through and read the book for me before I launched it, they said, you know, I love the idea of that title, but that's not actually what your book's about. Like your book is not about that journey. Your book is about this element of who we are as people and living intentionally and finding the, the space in between that feeling of there's too much going on all the time and I can never be enough to make all of that happen. And once they once one of the readers said that and I wrote it down, it just kind of landed and hit home of that is what it feels like a lot of time of there's too much happening in the world or I'm doing too much or there's you know too much that I need to be responsible for. I can't possibly be enough to handle all those things or how come there isn't a grown-up around to handle all those things for me? Um, where am I in this process? And then the act of living intentionally, instead of this like constant vacillation between those two, the act of living intentionally brings peace to not have to feel like you are, you know, running amok all the time or laying in bed and can't function. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like the uh, overwhelm of everything that is going on in the world, you know, it, it tends to create chaos in our minds, doesn't it? So if you intentionally plan, you know, to to live well intentionally, yeah, that that tends to overcome the overwhelm. Yeah, it keeps you very present and yeah. in what we are and needing to actively attend to right now instead of focusing on that future stuff or that past stuff, we kind of move away from all that to stay present. Now, Dr. John Arden told us um, just recently he writes books to organize his thoughts and, you know, to, and intentionally learn. Uh, so I'm wondering your journey of writing the book, you know, what what was there any transformational things that happened to you? 
Absolutely. I gave up a lot of my shoulds during that writing. Um, it was incredible to get to the end and feel like I'm a very different person now. I don't, I don't do some of the things that I used to do as I was kind of walking through some of those processes and, and journaling it out. Actually, it was uh, this thing of the word, I was just thinking, intention. Uh, so uh, that that self uh, self directed self got. I mean, we've got a whole part of the brain that's towards self direction, but mostly what we do is we try to do external satisfaction. And so, uh, so I just wrote um, we're shift from intention away from out tension, uh, which is cool. I'm a, a new book, but <laughs> I, I I wrote a book called How the Real World's Driving Us Crazy, and it was talking about this externalized evaluation framework and how we actually uh, develop a mindset which which uh, evaluates our, our gives ourselves value based on uh, outside I call it the winner loser world but then yeah. of course that becomes embedded in in culture that becomes embedded in in our ways and and in the education program and then as you say the journey from education to expressing that education it's this constant battle of of Am I being satisfied with, you know, am I being accepted? Am, and am I good enough? And, of course, the question is always good enough for what? Um, but the trouble is it's it's a two-edged sword. One is, you know, we come over um, concerned with the outside world. And the other one is actually the outside world kind of does decide a, a lot of things what we do. Yeah. This juxtaposition, that that's a lot of what you seem to be working with in in your in your thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of people do come into therapy wanting, um, for lack of a better term, kind of a surface level answer to make everything okay. And when we get down into some of the deeper levels, we realize that there is a core element of not feeling like they can even survive this world in some sense, like that they don't have the tools or that they don't have the internal ability to, to make it and to manage. And, uh, and I think that that's, that element stems from a lot of different messaging from childhood. I think it stems from a lot of different of how they comprehended something, even if the message wasn't directly mean or bad or whatever, how they, how they turned it, how they understood it in their being is, is wildly different and can make a huge difference in how they reflect on things as a grown person. So when you talk about internal choices, do we have like a, have you built like a catalog or are there, you know, sort of the top 10 kind of internal choices that people should be making? Ooh, I don't know that I would look at it that way. I think that I have a couple of rules that okay. I tell people that um, are really effective to help them live more intentionally. Um, sure. And I think um, I, I, I put them out as kind of my weighing test on decision-making. And so it's, can you do it non-judgmentally, fully present and on purpose? And if you can do whatever it is that you're deciding to do in that way, then go for it. You are living very intentionally. If at any point you decide like, nope, I actually don't like that I'm doing this or this doesn't feel good or right or whatever, then you can stop and kind of start all over to make the decision again. We're never really stuck with the decisions that we make outside of like really big things like once you have murdered somebody, you can't take that back. But other things, most other things, you can 
decide to stop at any point in time. And one of the areas that I see that being really effective is with folks who are struggling with um, like compulsive overeating or binging um, is that they get into this kind of mindset of I need to finish this or, you know, I'm, or I'm, they stop being intentional in those moments and they stop thinking about what they're actually doing. And so we, we teach the method of stopping at the point where you do notice that you're doing it again, when you're putting that next thing in your mouth of saying like, wait a second, is this next bite really what I'm deciding to do in this moment? Am I doing it non-judgmentally both now and in 20 minutes when I think about this? Can I still be non-judgmental about this decision? Can I do it on purpose right now? This is for a purpose. Like I want to eat this right now. And in a way that like you are fully present. I I use the example in my book a lot of um, eating French fries from McDonald's. I will absolutely order a a large French fry from McDonald's, but really the only, the first few handfuls are really the best tasting. And then the rest of it, I just eat because they're there, right? Right. There's such a difference between those first few yummy tastes and then the rest of the container. So really I should just order a small because those are the only bites I'm really going to enjoy. I'm going to be fully present for Right. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're eating and driving and you're totally unconscious of finishing the rest of the, the fries. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm getting kind of excited by the the these words because I'm just looking there and the first time I've thought about it, uh, on purpose, on purpose. If you're making your decisions on your purpose, and of course purpose is, is directly related to meaning, and meaning is book is is subcortical as as well as cortical. And I go back to the old uh, thing of the elephant and the rider. You know, we we say, well, I can't. It's very hard to do this just willfully to mm-hmm. to to break habits. But if you do it on purpose, uh, your purpose is actually part of the elephant. Uh, so that's really that's really cool. And but to be on purpose. Uh, that that thing to be present. Now that's a really interesting it, it, it thing uh, of of self awareness. Is it? Uh, or, or what are the sort of things that allow us to get that that sense of being being present? When I think about being present, I think about being like an active participant in this moment. I'm not just letting things happen to me. I'm not letting things pass me by. I am fully engaged sight senses in that thing. Yeah. This is something that we, that needs to be nurtured and practiced, right? Yeah. Because most of our life is, you know, habitual. Um, we're on auto, autopilot most of the time. Um, and so how do we how do we learn to be present because it's it seems like it's not not a normal state for most people mm-hmm. so true because I, I mean one of this is just bouncing this is so great Tara bouncing up so many fascinating things in my in my past thoughts uh, Joseph Campbell the great mythologist uh he came us he we talked about living your bliss and various things of self-awareness I suppose he's talking there and he he came up with the the concept that life is all about participating in the experience. And I thought, that's cool, but not quite right. And I thought, oh, dear, are you supposed to tell people like Joseph Campbell they're not quite right? But then <laughs> I, I argued with Plato as well, so it didn't matter. <laughs> but, but I played around with it for a while and uh, uh, Matt and I are both uh, uh, creative artists as well, musicians and actors and performers, which is really helpful. And I changed it to 
creatively participate in the experience. Ooh. And you can't be creative. I mean, creative is an engaged process. Uh, mm-hmm. It requires you and something else, other people, other things. And that presence, if you're not present, you can't be with with anything else. And you do a lot of work with teenage kids. This this is one of their greatest, I mean, gee, talk about the win or loser world. I mean, they're <laughs> externally evaluated all the time. How do you bring all this work in? Uh, certainly you're talking to adults in, in the book as but with kids as well. Yeah, I love teaching the skills to teens because my, my first thought is if I can teach you this at 13 and you can practice it for the rest of your life, what an amazing life you're going to lead. Like you are just not going to have the kind of struggles and worries and things that a lot of us have just kept because we didn't have these tools and we didn't practice them, right? So I do teach them a lot and we do a lot of things um, that I think... I think the the best way that I can think of them is just being authentic. I think teens know when you're faking um, and teens know when you're talking down to them. And so so I really do practice doing some of those things authentically with them. So that's, I do a lot of like crafting in session with kids for the purpose of purposely making mistakes and having to wrestle with whether or not to go back and undo a whole work that you did and then have to redo it to get the perfect way or to allow it to, to be a mistake and be a part of of what happened in our space today. Um, I do a lot of opportunity where they can explore what they are feeling in the moment based on um, based on other things. So like we watch some movies in our sessions, um, ones that I know make me cry so that I'm actively crying in the session with them and having them look at me and be like, wait, so wait, that was sad for you. Tell me about what that feels like and have them engage in the process with me as I unpack why I cry at Encanto um, <laughs> because it's there are so many parts of that that you feel like, oh my gosh, I see that. Um, so I, I love doing it that way. And then we do a lot of experiential stuff with food um, in my sessions. So I, I don't know when the last time you guys had a warhead was or if you guys even have warheads where you are. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, they are <laughs> so super sour candy um, that like even talking about them, like I feel my jaw tightening up at the back. Um, And we explore just the difference of being, you know, eating for eating's sake and eating for the purpose of feeling this difference that our body does naturally to to a stimulus, right? Something was given to us, we put it in our mouth, and then our body started doing a thing. And that that happens all over the place with anxiety and with depression and with being... um, afraid of things or whatever it is and giving them kind of these tangible sources when they have a situation that comes up where they get mad at their mom because she did something. I can look at them and be like, okay, let's break down the situation. Where was the warhead in that? Where was the thing that like made your body physiologically react? And then you leaned into that feeling to do these things. What could have been some other options? And how can we notice that warhead earlier so that you're not punching holes in the wall? and getting into more trouble from a situation that we could have handled differently. Wow, that's so cool. I want to come to one of your sessions. They sound like real fun <laughs> sessions. <laughs> I think do, they're great. <laughs> do, do, do you have a, um, is, is there sort of a case example that we could we could discuss? Oh, you know, the first one that came to my mind was a kiddo that I saw, uh, I saw him for almost two years. And during the first two years, we talked a lot about um, his nail biting and his anxiety. And um, we we did a lot of 
you know, normal behavioral activation kind of stuff to try and like lessen those pieces. But the, the thought that really came to my mind was as we had done some of this work to help him identify his emotions and help him become more present and do those pieces, um, he kept trying well, I kept trying to tell him, you're doing better. You don't need to come as often. And he kept telling me like, no, I'm not. I need to keep coming. And I kept trying to figure out like, what's going on here? How did this happen? And one, one week he finally did come in and almost immediately sat down on the couch and started bawling. And I looked at him and said, what, what is happening today? Where, where did this come from? What, what was this trigger point? And he had said that somebody at school had bullied him. Um, and it was the first time he felt like he was ready to tell me that he had been suicidal for the last like three months. Wow. Okay. And even though in session, every time I ask all of the questions about suicidality, have you thought of that this week? You know, what's on a level of one to 10, where are you at? Cause I always gauge for suicidality. I mm. feel like therapist's office are the, are one place out of the whole world where we should be asking that question every time. But that's my other soapbox. Um, but I had been asking him and he just hadn't felt ready. And to them that day, because he'd gotten bullied, kind of layers got removed where he was able to really identify this piece. And that was the whole reason he wasn't willing to, to shorten our sessions or come in less was because he was kind of working himself up to being able to tell me what was really going on with him. And we had an opportunity to really understand his presence and his purpose and sitting in our sessions and, and really start pulling away those blocks of, you know, why he didn't tell me sooner. And a yeah. lot of it really had to come back or came back to that idea of I'm, I'm not, I don't want to change how Dr. Sanderson sees me. And I'm worried that, you know, if I do well enough, then I'll have kind of fooled the world and done the right thing, gotten my A plus in therapy, but not have actually done what I needed to do because I'm not, I'm not enough. I can't handle this or function in this way. Um, so we, we did a lot of, a lot more work inside of those components and, and helped him through that. But that, that element of, you know, really being real with teens and sticking it out for as long as you need yeah. to and yeah. being present and, it's wildly important. And how beautiful that you were sensitive enough not to, when you thought he was finished, you know, not not to finish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's something we we uh, include in in, in the uh, our book, a uh, whole area of what I'm calling client responsiveness. There's been a lot of responsive talk for quite a while, but not a lot, not a lot do it. We, we tend to be more methodological and, and uh, uh, helping. A, yeah. a great deal and it was beautiful that was just a great example of uh, okay I'll put this forward but when the the client comes back because I wonder how many therapists would have gone oh yes I, I know you might need and, and and just insisted on on their not so much their authority I know it comes from great care but it is extraordinary what what clients uh, will 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 tell you and uh, you know we're doing some PhD work on it at the moment hopefully to give it more uh, realization of just how many people are using responsiveness like this. And you're just a great example because you did that not out of academic or, or you know, college education. You did that out of heart. Yeah. Uh, and uh, which seems to be a real big motivation in a lot of what you do. 
I, I think as I get to know different people, whether they're other clinicians or people I'm consulting with, um, they, one of the, one of the key elements they feel from me is, is what I would call generosity. This idea of there aren't any bounds to what I am willing to give or do. I want to help in whatever way I can. Um, and that people do respond in that way. I think even that kiddo looked at, looked at me when I said, of course we can keep meeting. That's fine. You know, I don't, I don't have any agenda here. This isn't, this isn't my stuff that I'm trying to navigate here. If you've got more stuff to say in whatever capacity you want to, or in whatever time frame you do, I'm here. And I think that that, that response welcomes people to feel comfortable and safe and ready to like get what they need. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, another thought that when, as you were talking about working with teens, and I'm sure this is um, this is for everybody in our world of Instagram and social media, we're very practiced at being inauthentic. You know, we, we portray an image of ourselves in social media, which isn't necessarily, you know, authentically us. And so in being very practiced at being inauthentic in that, that sort of way, even if it's very subtle, is, you know, are we making it, are we a generation or generations that are now finding it more difficult to come back to live an authentic life? What is What are your observations? Yeah, I think that there are some interesting trends going on, even inside of our social media. I just was introduced to an app the other day that doesn't, that is a social media app, but doesn't allow any filters, that everything is immediately, authentically you in that moment. In fact, it was a a mother and daughter uh, set of clients of mine who uh, use it together. And so when you message the other person, it gives you like 15 seconds to take a picture either of yourself or of your environment to send back to the other person. And it's supposed to be this kind of like real moment in time kind of experience. You don't have time to like make sure the shot's right or do anything fun. It's just like either you or where you're at, let's be real. And I think that, I think that we got caught up in the like facade of it all. And instead of that being like, oh, here's a fun filter to play with, it became, this is my real life. Instead of it being, you know, this is an example of something that I did or a final cut of something where I'm saying it's the final cut of it. It became, no, this was really me doing it in this moment. And it became a very like lying kind of feel or just inauthentic kind of feel. But I think that the industry is shifting a little bit. I think that we we've caught on and we're, we're, we're recognizing that we're smarter and, and saying like, that's not real. (laughs) Like, let's take another look at that. Or even how many accounts there are now that test out different things to say, so-and-so said that they could put this in the oven for 30 minutes and get this product. Let's see if that's real. And even try some of those pieces just to kind of give themselves a chance to say, we can, we can fact check these things. We can make sure. And I do think that that will help us online. What I think is going to help us in person though, is, is really challenging ourselves to be okay with the, the kind of messy parts of us being human. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that real world driving us crazy. It's uh, the, 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 there are an unfortunate um, embedding of benefit that does come from being of a particular look, of a particular type, uh, uh, we see in different countries in, 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 in different degrees of the color of your skin, um, all these sorts of all these sorts of problems. Um, and I think the, the the worst part 
well, it's kind of a two-edged sword. The the internet does seem to level that field, not in the sense of a good way, because it's a bad way. It levels it so that everybody is then vulnerable or susceptible. Um, how do you manage uh, working with kids and adults too, who who are struggling with understanding this medium? Oh, I think that one of the biggest things I tell people, and it seems so simple and easy, but it's don't look at all of the stuff on there all the time. Get mm, off of those yeah. things and be in real life. Engage with your friends and family in real life as much as that's appropriate with all of the confines of illness and stuff in the world. But like be with the people in, in real time and real space and not watch these little blurbs from things. I even say the same thing about the news though, of like limit your daily news intake. Like there's it's there's too much out there that you don't need to be worrying about and thinking about or challenging yourself about. Pick your things that are valuable to you that you want to advocate for or make sure you're invested in and, and growing your knowledge about. But then leave the rest of it because you, you cannot manage everything that's happening in every other country all across the world right now. Like you have plenty of your own stuff in your own world and focus in on being intentional about this space and time. Yeah, yeah. It's also the amount, the amount of speculation too, I think, is, is invaded, particularly the 24-hour news cycle. And it's, it's very dangerous. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, there is just so much information coming at us. Um, you know, we, <laughs> if we just sit passively, it all just comes at us rather than us seeking out the information that, you know, we need to enhance our own lives. So it is a it is a big problem and it's, and it's a big overwhelm. And I totally agree. We have to limit our uh, amount of time online. You know, watching the news and looking at social media and and um, find a quiet place and read a book. Gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, Tara, I just want to get back to the book uh, a little bit because uh, I, I really like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ego massaging there, but actually, not really. It's, it's just a really nice thing, um, uh, nicely done presentation. Is there something in there that you really like uh, that you'd like to just uh, highlight for us? Absolutely. I think if there's one thing that I could have people take away would be the skill of using sober. It comes from the um, mindfulness and kind of um, uh, mindfulness based intervention skills, uh, but I. I found that in addition to working with uh, drug and alcohol clients and folks in, um, in, in a couple of different industries, really, it's, it's just so helpful to stay present. And it really hits home with that weighing test. Um, so sober, when I describe it in the book, um, and there's a little like worksheet, you can do it through. Uh, but it really is just an acronym. And the first letter is STOP. Uh, it, well, it's S for STOP. And uh, the reason that I love that being the first element is because I think that when we get into that autopilot mode or when we get into that place where we're starting to um, have some, some frustration with ourselves, the first key element for us is to, once we notice it, is to stop doing what we're doing and take a moment. The S in sober is for observe. And we, and I've had folks put in parentheses, both inside and outside. And I think that it's really important for us to check in with like, did whatever I'm feeling or doing or whatever have a prompt from outside of me, or is it coming from inside of me? And what am I feeling? Where am I at? 
what's going on here? Because I know that when I'm doing some of that mindless eating, there is very much a component of I'm in kind of a space where maybe I have time to kill, or maybe I'm just bored, or maybe I'm, you know, just kind of rushing through something and I'm not really focusing on where I'm supposed to be. So observing those elements gives me some clues into where this could have come from or what I need to do next. The third one is B, so it's for breathe. And I have people put in parentheses, breathe five times. And that's not for any like really good scientific reason. It's more about <laughs> like it, like the five anyway. Is It's more about the next step also has five. So if you, if we can go in, like we do the things in fives, it makes, it makes people remember things better. But I tell people a lot that doing some sort of a breathing exercise, especially some sort of an active breathing exercise like box breathing or dragon breathing really does help people um, take time between all of this information you just brought in about what's happening inside and outside of my body before I get ready to like start analyzing and make a decision. So we don't want them impulsively just, oh, I've got to put these crackers away and like never look at them again and then start to feel shame. We want them to say like, oh, wait, this happened. Now let me take a few moments before I get ready to see what my next step is before my next decision. E is for examine the options. And again, I have them come up with five options. The way I explain this to teens is to try and come up with two really extreme options. So your thumb and your pinky, and then three kind of in the middle options. So for instance, if a teenager is really mad at their mom, one of their options, one of their extreme options could be, I could punch her in the face. Not a recommended one very often, but you could do it. It's a choice, right? Another extreme option might be, I could run away to the circus. Um, another really extreme option, totally optional that happens. There are circuses that will take you in today. Uh, but let's look at some middle ones as well. These might be ones that are probably more accurate or, or what not accurate, but ones you might be willing to do. So it might be, I could walk to my room and slam my door. I could call a friend and have them come pick me up so I can just get out of this environment. Or I could yell at my mom, right? Which is less extreme than punching her in the face, but more extreme than just going and slamming your door. And then as you look at those options, you're then going to decide which one you're going to do. And I encourage people always to have done some analysis of their values um, because sometimes your values can help guide you in, in what your decisions might need to be. But also that weighing test can help you kind of figure those pieces out. So what kind of these things can I do with full intention, like being present on purpose and without judgment? If you can punch your mom in the face without any judgment, fully present, like good form and everything, and on purpose, you know what the outcome is going to be and you're going to take it. I mean, that's you're, you could do it. Probably not your best, but you could, right? And the same thing goes for all of them, whether the decisions about should I eat more cake or should I put on my seatbelt or should, you know, I quit my job, any of those things, you can make a, a better decision once you've stopped, observed things, taken some deep breaths, looked at your options and made it intentionally. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And it's the pause you know, that is so critical. And yes. I know if, for myself, you know, I'm, I might be, you know, from the office, you know, to the car, I'll be, I'll be racing. Why am I racing? I don't know why I'm racing. I'm in a hurry because why? Yeah. I don't 
pause and, and consider what what my body is doing on on autopilot. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, but some some wonderful wonderful tips some, there. Some wonderful things. I mean, because because also that things because the pause. Uh, it gives you long enough to move into reflection. Um, we know there's, there's a half second delay um, mm. in instinctive, but the, that first couple of seconds is a reactionary, uh, uh, which then allows you know the dorsal prefrontal cortex and also the, the, the ventral lateral and the orbital frontal to sort of come in and create some reflective nature and the uh, the breathing five, there's actually some stuff on six breaths, which is oh. interesting when talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, vagal tone and uh, just the, the the nature of, of that because the, once you start getting beyond six, you move up into a bit more, you hyperventilate, so you've got to be careful with that. So five is great. But the five number, just, just interesting there, is five is much is quite preferable as a group because when you add, when it's an even number, when it's six, there's a tendency to divide the groups and then you get mm-hmm. two groups of three. So five is uh, five is brilliant. Three is not enough to 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 make it interesting. Three is sort of a, a power group. So five, are, you know, I, there's a few things that are running around in in, in my head as that. So you can uh, use your hand, and you can <laughs> use your hand, which is absolutely true. So five has this has this handy nature to it, the, the, which is just instinctive. So I love that. I'm 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 on with that one. I've I've written. I'm looking down because I've written it down. And I'm going. Beauty. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. We're, All right. we're probably winding ourselves up a bit now. We've been uh, yabbering beautifully. That's so interesting. Uh, is there something that we've missed or uh, would you like to just give us a little sort of a, uh, a final comment before we, we wind up and let people get back to their <laughs> whatever they're doing there, cooking their cake or jogging? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, you know, uh, people can find me at drterrasanderson.com. I've got links to my book and to other interviews that I've done, um, as well as courses and things that I teach. And I'm totally open to questions and comments. So people can feel free to email me and I'd be happy to share and help if I can. Fantastic. And we'll have those links in the show notes as usual. Well, uh, Dr. Tara Sanderson, thank you so much for being here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It was great to have a chat with you. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch because wonderful work you're doing. Please do. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, wow. That was great. Yeah. Hey, we invented a whole bunch of new words and, and, <laughs> uh, and things and, and uh, we were just riffing there. I, I, I enjoyed that. That was such fun. But really yeah. interesting work she's doing and, yeah. and, you know, making sense of it. And I must admit, as an interpersonal neurobiology uh, person, I do love an acronym. So, uh, <laughs> so she's great there with her fabulous um, SOBER. Really yeah. good, really good. Yeah, so obviously very, a very practical book there. Just a reminder once again, Too Much, Not Enough, a guide to decreasing anxiety and creating balance through intentional choices. And links in the show notes as always. And Dr. Sanderson and Associates in Portland, Oregon, a wonderful person to know and set up and organise. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us here on The Science of Psychotherapy. Just once again, if you do want to support us, jump across to thescienceofpsychotherapy.net and uh, become part of the tribe. We'd love to have you with us. And remember, you can always just buy us a cup of coffee, uh, which just is a, a way of giving us a small bit of support and appreciation for all the uh, uh, the things that, that you like in what we do. Fantastic. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, 
go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.